Welcome to the Inspiro Podcast, a podcast exploring personal growth, leadership, strategy, communication, and fulfillment. We are your hosts, Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling future. Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems, whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're going to be exploring a lot of topics, and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be dental advice or counseling advice. Hey, this is Jason jumping in here after the intro. And before we continue the conversation between me and Bill on validating and uh, right, wrong thinking, wanted to see how you're liking the episode so far. This is episode four. Hopefully you've gotten to listen in. These have been shorter episodes, uh, two, three, and four shorter. Episode five will be pretty short as well, where we're going to be starting to talk about more in-depth pieces of the communication puzzle. So reach out, inspiropodcast at gmail.com, and let us know what you're thinking. Let's get to the conversation. Myself included, none of us want to admit that we didn't understand something. Mm, that's a great point. And it's an important discipline sometimes to say, I'm hearing your words. I really am listening. There's an idea I don't understand here. Mm-hmm. And instead of shutting you down, I actually need more from you so mm-hmm. that I understand. That's also intensely validating. If I want to know not just what you said, but as you said, what you intended and what you meant, uh, what you experience you're speaking from, that's, that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, that's a great point, though, that we don't like to demonstrate we don't understand. It's another sign, though, of losing that, that power structure. It's, it's acknowledging vulnerability. It's acknowledging we don't know. And that in an arena that lacks psychological safety, it's almost becoming a, a buzzword these days, but I think it's really important. But if we don't have that, that psychological safety with a relationship or in a team, then we're not going to be comfortable saying we don't know, we don't understand. And it's a bit of a chicken and an egg thing. We right. construct psychological safety by actually saying, I, I don't really understand you, the experience you're speaking from. That's different than I don't understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. I'm, I'm not sure what experience you're conveying to me. There seems to be much more to that. If you've ever been talking with someone who has just gone through a terrible loss in their life, they may be speaking a language that unless you have had a major loss, it's hard to understand. Oh yeah, you can, they're using the same words that we all use, but there's something, there's more going on there. Yeah, that, so that would be more the, strength of the emotion 
that uh, maybe we have a hard time relating to because we haven't experienced the same thing. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. There's another piece I'd like to add to this. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when we feel threatened in the conversation and, and we're, we're going to win and you feel like that some part of our worthwhileness is on the line, we will use words for their powerful effect rather than the ones that are most descriptive. Ah. See, in Texas, we have various laws against like physical assault. You can't just go start a fight and beat up on people. But there is an interesting exception in Texas law for something that are called fighting words. <laughs> words that most people would find so offensive that they probably want to punch you in the face. And, and I, I think there's, there's a little something to that is, okay, so, you know, we all kind of know what those fighting words are. And we have to ask, why would you be using them? Not to try to understand someone, but actually to be able to dominate someone, certainly to dominate the situation you're in. I see that with teenagers all the time. Uh, they will use absolutely the most powerful word they, they've got. I hate you. Well, they don't hate their mom. But that's mm -hmm. the most powerful word they've got. That's the word that will affect mom the most. Mm -hmm. And so they grab for I hate you. Uh, they grab for I hate myself. They grab for us like, kid, you're just grabbing the biggest tool in the toolbox, irrespective of whether it will actually fit the job you're trying to do. So we see the same thing in adults having conversations yeah. and ideas being discussed. And when you start to feel like you're losing the battle, you attack the person. Very so, so. Yes. an ad hominem yes. attack. And, uh, and pretty soon you're in the middle of fighting words. That's right. That's right. And so I couldn't help but get a picture of Yosemite Sam in my head when you were first telling that story. And, uh, <laughs> it's hard not to laugh, uh, but it is a, a very serious topic that needs attention. But <laughs> so I want to bring this around to dental practice. Yes, please. We're dealing with a bunch of people in dental practice, doctors, teams, patients. We're also dealing with those, um, unseen people, the families of patients who also, I don't want to forget them. They have some influence and we have to be careful in the words we use with teams or patients. Often what I, I notice in dental practices is people will, if you're giving a case presentation, bias toward the technical clinical terms. I'm glad you know those, but if I'm the patient, I don't know those. And unless you want to explain each one in depth, which would be a lot like some course in dental school, we're going to be miscommunicating. A real challenge, if you have a picture in your mind of how this person's mouth could be improved, What are words you can actually use the other person understands to help build that image in their head? 
and using clinical words sometimes just doesn't cut it. Mm -hmm. The other place is when you're trying to talk to a member of the team and get them to change behavior. It's very tempting to pull out the most powerful words rather than the most effective word or the most evocative word or the word that will really describe what's going on or what you need. So two things there. One, when, when talking to the patients, there's an old adage that talks about we're not, if you, if a person has a cavity, a hole in a tooth, they don't want the hole filled. They want to chew without pain. And the same could be said for any aspect of what's going on in the mouth and how we describe it. And so rather than saying, you have a hole on the mesial of tooth number 12, we say, you know that hole that hurts when you chew food? We can make that not hurt. And they know where it's at, they know what's going on, and they know that you're going to fix it. And there are some people that want more detail than that. There are some people that that's all they need to know. And I think differentiating those people and then speaking in that more common language is really important. When I'm giving um, workshops, one of the things I frequently quote from studies, actual studies, uh, that the difference between a physician who gets sued frequently and a physician that almost never gets sued isn't about experience or technique or training. It comes down to four minutes. Do you have eight minutes with a patient or do you have 12 minutes with a patient? And to add to that, what are these physicians doing in that those extra four minutes? that's helping them. Mm -hmm. They are listening to the patient's experience, not just asking yes, no questions. Does it hurt here? Does it hurt there? How long have you been noticing the pain in your foot? They spend f about four minutes listening to what it's like to have a pain in your foot, particularly if you work retail and you have to be on your feet all the time. Or how worrying that is if Running is an important part of how you balance your life. That there's more there, about four minutes worth, apparently, of experience that a physician needs to hear. I'm wondering what that looks like in, in dentistry. Oh, it's very similar. I was involved in the peer review process as a reviewer many years ago. I was practicing in Florida at the time and was involved in the local dental society. And with that, maybe once a quarter, I it would come around to my turn where I had to hear about a case that a patient had presented to the board, or it wasn't the board, it was the dental society. And it was like an initial attempt at resolution prior to it going to like a board review, uh, which was much more serious. Every time, except for one, it came down to just poor communication. 
It was just that the patient did not feel heard, that they didn't feel, they feel like they were just being dismissed, that their concerns were not being acknowledged. And a simple four minute conversation could have probably saved hours of headache and interviewing and documentation of conversations and all of that. It's particularly obvious uh, in medicine, but I see it also in dentistry, mm-hmm. that if, if you dehumanize patients, you can get a lot more efficient. But what you're storing up in the patient is the need for them to get their humanity back from in our society. Suing people is one way to do that. Yelling at people is one way of doing that. Not doing what the professional wants you to do is another way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Not accepting the treatment is a way of doing that. There are all these things that you could say, oh, this is resistance. This is ridiculous. This is non-rational behavior. No, it's very rational if you're trying to get your humanity. You know, in some respects, you never know with any given person when they're going to reach their limit because i think that's we're kind of being assaulted on a lot of fronts these days from social media advertising talks of economy issues and inflation and more stress in the world and so we only have every person only has so much of that they can take before they're finally done with it and it has to come out and if I'm the doctor that's not listening, that is uh, dismissive, then I could be the one that feels that. I remember overhearing uh, a patient at a front desk in a dental office arguing with the front desk, really getting heated about wanting to come in at Tuesday at 6.30 or something. Well, after common dental hours, and they, the, the patient said, but the sign on your door says, and by appointment. <laughs> I want to make that appointment. Oh, well, one, there was very poor communication about what that meant on the door. But the other piece that I began to realize when I heard them is they wanted a concession from the practice because they felt that they had already given so much to the practice. They'd given money, mm. they'd given time. And for that practice, they had had to go along with a lot of things they disagreed with, didn't like. They had to not protest. They had to give away a lot of power to professionals who, quote, knew better, unquote. And it finally built up. And it built up right around that front desk, right around the scheduling. And what he was asking for was a concession from the practice to prove that all of the stuff he'd given up was worth it. Wow. I guess that sign got changed the next day too. I suggested that. (laughs) So I'd like to bring this around. You kind of already brought it into the dental office for us, but I'd like to get a little bit more specific on what it looks like in a dental office for a doctor and team to form some agreements about how this kind of communication is going to look and feel and function. And maybe what could they do if a doctor or a team member is listening to this and they want to go to their office because they want to 
elevate the level of communication and be able to more easily validate coworkers, teammates, patients. What what does that look like? How would how would a team go about implementing this kind of communication style in their practice? Let me start with the scary fact that if you as the leader in the practice don't set up the rules around how people have constructive conflict, then the person in the practice, including maybe a patient, who has the biggest feelings will set up the rules. Mm. Those feelings are often, often fear, anxiety, anger, will be so, setting up the rules. So how does that work? Why is it that those feelings, the, the strongest feelings, set that tone? Uh, because nature abhors a vacuum. And if there's no rules, the person who's most invested in their being rules, often the person who feels the most resentment or, or the most fear, will put rules in place just by acting them out. And then they just become commonplace. They just take over. However, if you have some rules in place that allow people to be validated and problems to be resolved, not just on a technical level, but on a personal level, then people will follow those rules. They'd rather follow those rules. But if they aren't there, well, you know, the person with the biggest feelings will make up the rules. So let me suggest that one, do some thinking and feeling about what rules you need. And we, you and I teach some of these. A simple one might be that you can, anyone can request that the other person paraphrase back to them what they just said. It doesn't have to be something you do all the time because sometimes you don't need it. But the person who's not feeling understood, I think is reasonable to be able to make that request. I'm not sure what's going on here. Could you please repeat back to me what you thought you heard me say? Another thing that you can easily request is, I'm not sure where this, this is going. I'd like to hear from you what you think I'm intending, which is also a good check on me. How am I coming across? It's not all about judging the other person. It's, well, maybe I'm not explaining myself very well, and maybe I'm not putting my attention, intentions out there well. So it's, it's, again, it's a check on the system. The other, I would suggest removing sarcasm from the practice vocabulary. It is so often misunderstood. It is often a sign that someone is deeply angry, but feels like they cannot express it. So if I walk into a practice and I hear someone on the team regularly using sarcasm, particularly if it's not funny. No, it's just, okay, it's, it's disguised as a joke, but really this is not a funny joke. What I, where I go is, okay, one, why is that person angry? But also, why has that person not been able to say they're angry and have that resolved as a normal part of the practice communication? People don't start with hiding their anger in sarcasm. That's just where it ends up. They would rather talk to someone about it and have someone validate them and have someone help them resolve that issue. 
many of the things I see are what comes after things get blocked. One of the other great ones is if you're the leader honing your skills in recognizing when there are unresolved conflicts and unsaid needs going on out there, particularly in your team. Mm-hmm. And being able to call a meeting and saying, I'm just noticing that there seems to be a lot of unmet needs going on. Can someone help me understand what those are? And if I was in that spot, I would have brought along a pad and I would write them up on the pad, big letters. That's what people need. I wouldn't judge them. I wouldn't over explain them. It's like, I just, whatever, whatever need it is, let's put it on the pad. No judgment. Let's put it up here. And now let's stick the pad up there on the wall so we can all see it. We may or may not be able to fix one or maybe even all of these things. Let's take a look at them. Somebody needs to have their say about them. And if they're stuck up in the break room, maybe little by little, we can start working on them. What I see often is the exact opposite, which is the needs get buried until they build up into some ferocious need and someone yells at someone. And then everybody looks around and goes, oh, those people are crazy. No, they're not. They, that was the only place, only way left to express their need. If you had written it on a pad, non-judgmentally, stuck it up in the break room, and everyone has committed to work on it, working on them and understanding what those needs are, there's no need for people to yell. There's so much for me to get into there. Uh, but I'm okay. So my big takeaway there was as a leader, model the way and intervene as needed to redirect when I'm seeing it get out of hand or going that direction made it doesn't it doesn't have to get to the point of being out of hand but you can intervene i'm going to add it could be really important or this is how you could implement this is create time in every team meeting that is dedicated to these things to your list on the pad and if you have a 1 hour team meeting per month then a fourth of that should be around this, maybe more depending upon where you're at in your office with the need for this kind of thing. And instead of complaining about the need or, or fighting the need, what if when one of these needs is met and it's celebrated from the whole practice, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, two of, the, two of y'all figured out how to get this done. This is terrific. Let's order pizza. I, I really like that a lot that you're, you're celebrating that which is building a culture by intention rather than on accident. And so what that's doing then is, I think that's essentially reflecting the core values of the office. And so you can then use that in other avenues. The other thing you're doing and setting up things that you will not do I'm calling those boundary statements now. A boundary statement is all the stuff that we will not do. And so one of those would also be triangulation, which kind of gets to this idea of communication. We will not triangulate in this office. And instead, we will do this. So people may be saying, what is triangulation? And I'm going to say, stay tuned. We'll get to that. So with that, I think we've covered a whole lot here uh, in the idea of validation. And for me, the take home is that we as people in a conversation with another person 
need to be more aware of ourselves, our own feelings, what's happening in the conversation, and do our best to further the conversation in a positive way by acknowledging understanding, not necessarily agreeing, but acknowledging understanding. And that is going to help to validate the person to allow even disagreeable conversations to move forward in a positive way. That sounds good to me. Next topic. Might be good to segue into some do's and don'ts of communication. Okay. So next time we will start diving deeper into do's and don'ts of communication, including triangulation, among other things. So join us then. 